Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, there's always these jokes about people loving to bury headlines. You know, the the 5 p.m. Friday news dump. I got to say, it's an all-time news dump to trade Carmelo Anthony while LeBron James is actively taking shots at the president of the United States on Twitter. (laughs) Look, like Scott Perry, I mean, give him full credit. He's supposed to be one of these guys real by the book, quiet, neat freak. Sam Presti always been, you know, one of these guys who who plays it very close to the vest is not trying to make, uh, you know, huge waves. That is next level (laughs) bearing of a story right there, isn't it? It feels like Melo's whole summer was buried by the news cycle. And then you're right that the Saturday 1 PM news dump, although all of that, all of Saturday felt like a news dump where it was just like, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. And it was a lot to keep up with. So we decided to move up the pod a little bit to talk. OKC, to talk Knicks, to talk Trump versus the NBA and really all sports at this point. Uh, And so there's a lot to get through. But I feel like we should keep it simple and start with the OKC trade that really nobody totally cared about on Saturday because there were bigger things happening in the world. But let's just talk OKC right now. We have a question here, actually. Well, b- before from- we no, before we get to that question, though, let's seriously put this into perspective. I mean, the Mellow era in New York hyped year after year <laughs> after year. Hugely disappointing in total when you look back on it. I mean, I think they won one playoff series the entire time he was there. Uh, He gets this giant new contract. And immediately when he got that new contract uh, from Phil Jackson, after all the consternation about whether they give it to him or not, and, you know, his little tour, free agency tour around, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the countdown clock was on in terms of when he would be traded. If we went back to when he signed that contract and I told you, hey, you know, two years from now, three years from now, he's going to be traded and no one's even going to care despite a summer's worth of rumors leading up to it because it wasn't even the most important thing that happened on that day. It was overshadowed by a beef between the executive branch and the defending champions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's surreal. I mean, completely well, past. All right, here's the thing. Here's the any thing. Any kind if of reality. You include, if you include president donald trump in your hypothetical from three years ago yes i'd be like get the hell out of my face (laughs) but (laughs) the funny thing about the mellow deal is that at the time it wasn't that hard to imagine him just completely falling off a cliff two or three years down the line and it's i think that's what made it so depressing is that everyone knew exactly how this was going to end and it just sort of we had to just watch it like a slow car crash. And now Mello's finally free. I think everyone is better off with Mello not on the Knicks anymore. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think there was one point early on the podcast where I hadn't quite you know, broken out my cruel knives. I think I said that Carmelo was like a bystander to his own reality. And you almost started crying because you thought that, no, that no, was no. such, such <laughs> a mean didn't... thing for me to say. It really was. You said Carmelo Anthony is a bystander to his own life. And... It's still one of the meaner things that we've said because it's partly true. And I'm curious as to whether your feelings have changed after the trade. No, they ha- actually, let me take this back. They have. He was a bystander to his own life because he had one image of who he was and he was desperately clinging to that image. And despite mountains of evidence to the contrary, 
I think if you go back to that same conversation, we basically said that this is what needed to happen. Like they had to find finagle some way for him to get to sort of an aspiring contender where he could still play meaningful minutes and have a role uh, and, you know, a better fitting uh, job description than trying to be the number one guy on a really pathetic lottery bound team, which was just sad for everybody, uh, especially once you drop the Porzingis factor into it. And now he's like standing in the way of what could be a pretty uh, promising future. And that got really depressing because you know, he certainly didn't see himself, uh, you know, in that light. So I think this actually winds up pretty, you know, being a pretty good escape hatch. The fact that it only took Enos Cantor uh, and Doug McDermott, who's now been uh, you know traded twice in less than a year, uh, is pretty remarkable. Uh, and the fact that it didn't require a buyout might be the most impressive part of it. You know, like I thought this was going to end with a buyout eventually. Uh, so you know, kudos to the Knicks for being able to trade him, even though the package they got back was you know pathetic. Yeah, I mean, I still can't believe that Phil gave him a no trade clause couple years ago that is one of the crazier things to happen over the over the last couple years of free agency but uh we've been we've started off too depressing I feel like there's there's a depressing mellow angle and then there's also mellow and OKC so here let's talk about OKC's prospects Justin says it's hard not to love mellow on OKC especially considering what they gave up glad to see they're all in it's too bad they weren't this invested in winning when they had Russ, Harden, and KD on the same team. Ain't none of my business, though. The show just keeps getting better. So how real do you think this is for OKC, just in terms of progress up, up the West pecking order? Well, um, I was always a little skeptical of the Russ-George pairing as being a kind of like a game change and get them into the top three uh, part of the, uh, of the Western Conference. But they had bigger issues, and the issues were basically all of the other players on the team besides Steven Adams, and I kind of like Robertson. I mean, their depth was abysmal. Their lineup versatility was terrible, and ultimately, that's what was going to hold them back. I mean, they were not going yeah. to get out of the first round of the playoffs uh, if they hadn't made this trade because they have one good lineup. I mean, they could play big. Uh, you know, Adams in the middle. They can't take him off the court. All of a sudden, you're putting in all these guys who really aren't that uh, that good. And even if they could use Patrick Patterson as a center, uh, they were going to have a hole that had to be filled by either McDermott or Alex Abrinas or one of these other guys who just has no postseason track record, who you know can't be really counted on to play defense, and is going to wind up being a big minus. So they were dead enders to me. It almost didn't matter how good. George and, and Russ, kind of how that pairing worked. Uh, they didn't have what you really need to win. I'm not saying that Carmelo Anthony uh, is all of those things, you know, just by yeah. himself, but he's a lot better at checking some of those boxes that I mentioned than a guy like Enos Kanter, who just can't be on the, the court, or a guy like Doug McDermott, who just can't be on the court when it gets to May and you're playing against good teams. Melo can be on the court. He has his defensive limitations, but you can use him in a big starting lineup. You can use him in a small ball look. Uh, he will raise their overall offensive ceiling. He will improve their spacing. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talk about, you know, three stars, one ball. I totally get that. I mean, that is going to be something that they have to work out. It puts a lot of pressure on Westbrook to kind of run this show, but it's a no-brainer trade. Like the emailer. I mean, the emailer is 100% right. You do this trade. Why not? Yeah, I think it's a why not situation. They don't really have much to lose. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the the uh, the 
boring take here is also the correct way to look at this trade, which is to say that like Mello is not as bad as his critics say. He's not as good as the true believers. I, I don't know if there are Mello believers still, but he's not he's not as good as as the hype would have suggested a few years ago. But he he makes sense. He he gives them another weapon in the playoffs. I just don't think it really moves the needle with the Warriors, and that's really all that matters. Like, it's it's almost depressing to me how how meaningless this is in the, in the grand scheme of things. Like, it should be a bigger deal that Mello, Paul George, and Russ are on the same team, but I don't see them getting more than a game off of Golden State. Is that how we should look at it, though? I mean, I don't want to go into like a, a post-winning reality because you know me; I'm pretty, pro- <laughs> I, I'm pretty pro rings. You know, like I that really yeah. is what matters to me. But like, if you're Oklahoma City, you're you're not just trying to win a title next year. You're trying to get Russ to sign the extension. You're trying to convince Paul George to keep on fishing in the lakes around Oklahoma City. Uh, you're trying to spur attendance to the Banjo Museum. You're trying to sell out the Boot Barn. I mean, you've got. You want to keep your local fan base happy is what I'm you trying to say. You know and what? You're right. Doesn't You're this 100% do that? right. Yeah. This is, I don't think this is going to be enough to make Russ sign the extension, but if it is for some reason, then this is like a massive win for Presti and he should win executive of the year for, for pulling off this summer. That is incredible to me. It just like, even when there were a lot of tweets saying Presti gave up Oladipo, Cantor and Sabonis for Paul George and, uh, and Carmelo as if that was like a miracle, but George is, is a nine month rental. Carmelo isn't really like what people imagine when they hear Carmelo Anthony, like he he's still good, but he's not a all NBA guy, let's say. And Russ could be out the door. So like, I think you're right though, that we should look at this as an awesome nine month experiment and I think there are going to be a lot of nights when it really doesn't work because Russ and Carmelo are two guys who really need a lot of touches to be effective. And it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of navigate that. And Paul George, who knows what version of Paul George we're going to get. I mean, he like the first six months of last year, he was pretty disappointing. And then he was incredible over the final like six weeks of the season. So that all of that is to say i think it'll be fun to watch and it'll be cool and while the warriors are like owning the sport we really should should work hard to enjoy just cool shit that happens in the meantime yeah i, I hate that i had to be the one to to bring you back to reality to <laughs> know, reach that conclusion really I, mean, I that, appreciate that it that seems man. like role reversal i don't know what's happening here but uh, a couple thoughts you were struggling there for just one minute about where to kind of call Carmelo. He's halfway washed. He's in the dryer. You need to put in more coins. Okay, he's not quite done. He's just kind of halfway washed. So he still has some game left. He's not and prime I, mellow. And anyone who I thinks he's prime mellow, delusional. And that is painful to me because I have been a mellow believer for so many years. And I think that had he been traded a couple years ago, like – I, and obviously, in hindsight, had he signed with the Bulls, it probably would have gotten pretty dark because the Bulls were just headed that direction. But I think a couple years ago, he could have found a situation that utilized his talents a lot more than New York did. And it's painful to me that he's finally getting this shot when he, you're right. Like, he's, he's at least half-washed, 
And I, I think the, the other variable to consider here is whether, like, did he get fat and lazy as a form of Nick's protest, or is that just how he is now? And maybe he'll get in shape and, and be better than anyone expects. Yeah. Um, I'm not surprised at all that a bucket getter who failed to realize what winning is all about is, you know, on your sympathy list that you can identify with and you've been apologizing him for. It sounds like, you know, no, right, you know right who- up your alley. <laughs> You know who I will always rep for is the guys who are just excellent scorers that <laughs> I know stat nerds that stat nerds will like pick apart their game and Mello I, for six or seven years we've been talking a lot more about his weaknesses than what he does well and he actually does a lot of things really well and so the conversation around him has just been out of whack like forever. Yeah, we talk about his weaknesses because he's off and home in April. But look, uh, I think <laughs> one other point we need to to put out there, uh, you know, in terms of why do you make this trade? This is going to get really cynical and dark. You were you uh-huh. were kind of reflecting on you know the possibility of you and know, is it going to be somehow enough as a miracle to convince uh, Westbrook to sign the extension? What if the real play here from Presti is not trying to put? Uh, Westbrook over the top into re-signing, but to completely cover himself in the event that Westbrook does leave. I mean, isn't this the ultimate move for Presti to be like, look, guys, I don't know what more you want me to do. I traded a whole bunch of guys who were worthless for two perennial all-stars to put around our centerpiece guy. I got two of the best scores at that position to replace uh, the score who bailed on us. If that's not enough to keep Westbrook, I don't know what else I reasonably could have done. Hey, I'm doing this from Oklahoma City. Do you know how hard it is to recruit players? Isn't that kind of a compelling argument? I mean, can you blame Presti if Westbrook decides to end up leaving? And by the way, I don't think Westbrook's going to leave. I think he's going to sign the extension. But that would be a cynical read on this, wouldn't it? I love it. I love that you brought that up because I even... I didn't even realize it until you started talking there. But one of the things that has bugged me about the response to this trade is the people the people falling over themselves to praise Sam Presti and Clay Bennett, who's going to have to pay like a, a pretty big luxury tax bill, as doing everything they can to keep OKC competitive and whatever. And look, more power to those guys. They are doing everything they can, but it's perfectly fair to go back and say look Sam Presti had KD and Russ and Ibaka you don't even have to relitigate the Harden trade but he did a a pretty rough job building around those guys after the Harden trade they haven't drafted well for years I mean they took Mitch McGarry over Rodney Hood which will piss me off forever like they've just made a lot of really shaky calls and now going all in on a on a team that it's probably not going to really matter like maybe a conference finals with the warriors would be so much fun and would make all this worth it but it's not i don't think anybody has any illusions about what okc is actually going to win this year and the idea like one guy one guy does paul george because he came out and told usa today he it feels like a championship team and uh (laughs) he he shouldn't have said that paul (laughs) i don't know man this is going to be the year of like just calling bullshit on everything Paul George says. He's in a tough spot because he really, it certainly seems like he's like on the Lakers next season already. And uh, so I don't know how you answer questions if you're Paul George at this point. Well, you don't raise the bar to finals before Hoodie Mello even hey, lands look, at, look, at the airport with the Oklahoma City fans waiting for him. You know, it's, it's September at this point. Everybody can dream right now. 
he's probably operating under the assumption that no matter what he says, he won't be half as crazy as Kyrie. So just whatever, let it fly. And that's fine. You know, it it is kind of the, you know, why not era of the NBA. I mean, nobody's really catching Golden State. So go ahead and make any trade that you want. Uh, And no one's catching Kyrie, coffee shop Kyrie, in terms of the craziness that's going to (laughs) come out of your mouth. So go ahead and make whatever bold predictions you want. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I like the why not era of the NBA. That's one reason to love this trade is I think if we get to a, a point where as a sport, the league just starts turning over quicker than ever and we we get new new stars and on new teams every every year, I think that's healthy and I'll enjoy the chaos. So that's one reason to like it. Hey, can I make a can I make a pretty zany prediction that you're going this is going to be I'm going to get into my sharp mode right now. I'm going to say something that sounds crazy right now but in 4 months could wind up making me look like a genius. So I'm going to take my 10% shot at that. This is an Andrew okay. Sharp special. <laughs> sure. I love it. I have trademarked that move. I think the 2018 All-Star game will not have East and West rosters. I think that they are going to finally, after Mello, I mean, you can't even just like pretend that half-washed Mello is an all-star like they did last year, right? No Jimmy Butler, no Paul George, uh, no Paul Millsap in the Eastern Conference. There's not an abundance of young talent just aching to get onto that roster, and you're going to have 20 solid maybe even 25 solid all-star candidates in the Western Conference. It's absolutely out of control. I There's... I think Silver or whoever is going to come up with some screwy way to get around the conference designation for the All-Star game. I don't think it's going to be like international versus USA. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't think we're going to have East and West All-Star teams this year. I I don't know how he's going to do it. That's my prediction. There will be some way where it's more fair. Uh, Maybe they can blame it on the fans. They can do another change to the fan vote and, and let the fans vote it in. But I don't see any way where it's going to be LeBron you, Candace Buckner, all starting <laughs> on the Eastern Conference team. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I just want to say the problem with the Eastern Conference All-Stars is not that Paul Millsap is in the Western Conference. But beyond that, I agree with everything you said. I think that's a smart prediction because it's just too ridiculous right now, and it's not worth pretending that both sides are equal. It is Because it is. It's like Giannis, John Wall, uh, LeBron, and then beyond that, nobody is Look. really in that elite. Oh, Kyrie, coffee shop. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, because I'm channeling you here. I want you to channel me. I mean, can't you muster a little bit of anger about a Paul Millsap snub? Because a guy like Markeith Morris is going to get in in the East, and Paul Millsap's going to be on the outside looking in on the West. You can't channel a little bit of that for me today? No, Paul Millsap should never be in the All-Star game. The All-Star <laughs> game is not an event that celebrates so guys who do what he does. He, and when Paul Millsap, remember a couple years ago when I think there were like four Hawks on the court? That was the low point for the All-Star game. It was not like the 30-point blowout where nobody tried this past year. Like The, the fucking Hawks almost ruined All-Star weekend by themselves. And I'm glad that we don't have to live in that reality anymore. You don't. You didn't think it was a lower moment when Vivek actually went on the court during the game and grabbed Buddy Heald uh, out of the stands, and then just took him with him to Sacramento and left Demarcus Cousins <laughs> on the court for the Pelicans. That wasn't a lower moment in All Star Game history. Oh man, I forgot about that. I forgot that the the rookie game legitimately played a role in swinging the boogie trade. Um, 
Well, actually, I have, this that that feeds into my argument here, though. It's like, what integrity? I mean, I'm the kind of person who would pretend the All Star Game had integrity until recent years. But if a player is getting traded during the All Star Game, just like completely openly, yeah, that's pretty cares? much the best argument that there is no integrity for the game. So you might as well get rid of the conference designations. Who cares about the tradition? I mean, that's only the real reason to keep it, right? Is that you know going back to like the 50s or whenever there's always been conference designations. I mean, why not? Yeah, no, I think that's going to happen. I, I do have, I'm, or, or I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think that would be smart on the league's part. And it's it's in character for Silver. I, I think he, he enjoys tinkering uh, on fans' behalf. And this is one that is actually pretty easy to pull off. I and do it's have really one obvious question, too, though. right? I mean, it's so clear cut. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good. The West playoffs are going to be so cool. I mean, it, it, like if we if we got OKC Houston, like there are so many different stars on the court, and uh, I don't know who I'd pick um, in that series at this point. I I think I think OKC is going to be better in the playoffs than they will be in the regular season. Like I working in Mello, the highest I see them finishing is fourth. Yeah, I mean, and you're not even discussing like Spurs Jazz. I mean, that could be awesome. You know, there's so many great matchups. And <laughs> someone should come up with a nickname for the West that, you know, kind of reflects the fact that it's the show. You know, someone someone should uh, come up with some sort of a designation for that. I don't know. Look, it's time to move on to the Knicks. We need to talk about the Knicks. I we got a we got a question from Joel Near. He says, "Mello is gone and so are the ratings." It will be truly great to watch two $17 million centers sit on the bench when the game matters. This is not the end of an era, however, for the end of Steve Mills is here to remain. Um, what do you think about the state of the Knicks right now? Well, he brings up a good point about the center position. I mean, you could make an argument the best way to rebuild uh, Joakim Noah's confidence is to let him go against Enos Kanter and practice all day. I mean, get a, <laughs> get a couple easy buckets around the basket. You start feeling good about yourself. Maybe you can translate it against NBA-level competition. Um, hold up. Hold up. Let me jump in here. I think Enos Kanter is, has taken a lot of slander over the years, oh. and it's fair to say that you're not – going to be able to contend for a title if like Entis, Ennis Canner is a key piece um I think like th- his peak would have been like the 20 minutes a game that he was giving OKC uh two years ago in the playoffs and he actually did pretty well I think in that Spurs series before he became unplayable against the Warriors but I just want to say that the fantasy basketball podcast is coming and I think we'll, pro- we'll probably do it next week, and Ben is just going to have to s- grin and bear it because he'll be miserable the entire time. And I want to say that Ennis Cantor on the New York Knicks is a legitimate factor in fantasy basketball this year, and that's probably the nicest thing anyone has said about Ennis Cantor over the last like four years of his career. I'm glad you ended where you did because I was really worried you were going to take your I always defend the maligned bucket getters take that you had about five minutes ago. (laughs) And I thought you were about to apply that to Canner and be like, look, we know he's got some defensive issues, okay, but he can really (laughs) score the ball. And I was about to just absolutely melt down. (laughs) Yeah, he's a bridge too far. I wonder whether pairing him with Porzingis helps hide some of his weaknesses. Like I've seen a couple people throw that out. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna 
die on the Ennis Cantor hill. I think yeah, at the best, best way to hide like is a we- 20, 25 minute game, uh, 25 minutes a game. That's, that's like the max Cantor experience you should be having. The best way to hide his experiences as Oklahoma city found out is just to leave him on the bench. I mean, that's the, the best way to hide. I his thought you were going to say trade him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. I mean, but Hey, he could be an all-star in the East for all we know. So who knows? Um, look, the Knicks are in dire straits. Um, they have issues up and down, but I want to offer this ray of sunshine to the Knicks fans. You had three goals this summer, three things that absolutely had to happen. You had to get rid of Phil Jackson. You had to not pay Derrick Rose under any circumstances, and you had to trade Carmelo Anthony. Three for three. They kind of nailed it. I mean, if you went back three, four months and asked me, would they nail all three of those things? I, I would say the Knicks will somehow screw this up. There will be some sort of a Dolan uh, intervention here that will find a way to mess up the most important parts. Granted, Tim Hardaway Jr., Ennis Cantor, you got some things here that you don't really like. Uh, but well, they nailed the big stuff. We got to give the Knicks credit for that. I enjoy that. It's It's been a rare glass half full podcast from you, and uh, I like it. I I would say I'm still sort of glass half empty on the Knicks because... Oh, really? Like what, said, what what makes you be skeptical of the last <laughs> yeah, 25 real, years of history? Come on. <laughs> really bold stance for me. But no, I like, I can't... The, the Tim Hardaway thing is so weird i i often forget that they did that um and it's gonna be it's gonna be like a wake-up call on opening night and hey we get nick's thunder on opening night so that's exciting but tim hardaway makes no sense and it's drafting french frank over dennis smith is is tough man i don't think that it just like obviously we're all kind of guessing on what french frank can be but it would be so much fun to watch the Knicks go win 30 games with Dennis Smith and Porzingis next year. And it feels like we, this was, this was their chance to steal someone. And then they could have looked at the draft to like add one more player. And it feels like they're a year behind where they should be right now. And it's just classic Knicks bullshit. And I also don't think it's super healthy to come into this year and be like, yeah, we're going to tank with Porzingis where at some point some of these this losing is going to start to sort of like leave its stink on Porzingis that's what I'm worried about how bad do you think they're going to be I mean is worse than Chicago worse than Brooklyn worse than Atlanta in play for the Knicks I mean you've highlighted the key issue I think which is their point guard position I mean it's an absolute train wreck at least for this coming season for sure I, I don't know how you get around that I mean I think it's a pretty tough spot when your best guy is you know a a seven foot three three point shooting machine and and all around offensive stud but somebody has to set him up exactly somebody needs to get him the ball and there's not going to be any real balance around him either I mean Hardaway can can chuck but that's really about it so I mean this could be a really 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 bad team right I mean how bad do you think they can be yeah, well, I do think that they're going to be in the mix for a top five pick. I think like it's it's hard to pick who's who's like the tanking favorite. I think the Bulls are probably the leader in the clubhouse to be the just the most abjectly miserable team in the NBA. Um, and I think the, the Nets are also well. I don't know. Maybe the Knicks are, are currently looking worse than the Nets. But 
I think like there were a lot of people after the trade praising how New York is now well positioned to tank. The they're ignoring the cost that that might uh, take on, or like the toll that might take on Porzingis. And I mean, this is a dude who has been hyped as the savior for like two or three years now. And at some point, now that Mello isn't there, now that Phil isn't there, at some point he he's going to start getting blamed for some of this. And maybe it won't be this year, but it just yeah. is I'm not go- healthy. I'm going the other way on this one when it comes to Porzingis. I mean, this guy wants to get shots up. You know, I think he's going to love life where he's the number one guy, at least for a year. I mean, I think it's going to get old at some point. Um, they're going to have to be in a better position next year than they are right now. But I think yeah. this guy has just sort of been waiting to have to waiting to be the man, waiting to be the franchise, waiting to have the green light, waiting to have the ball in his hands all the time. Uh, you know, I think he's got a little bit of that like street ball killer uh, instinct where he wants to be front and center. And that was not possible in the previous iterations of the Knicks. I think he did a fairly good job being sort of like, uh, you know, a team player or, and patient and kind of waiting and, and hoping uh, Phil didn't really have a clear direction for how this was going to work. It didn't seem like they were doing, you know, and really improving in terms of how they were using him. And now it's just like, go do whatever you want. And I think for a lot of guys, honestly, especially guys in their early 20s, I mean, shots are better than wins, right? I mean, I'm not saying that he's like a losing mentality type of player, but like if you had to choose one or the other, uh, what's going to make you like, what's more instant gratification? You know, if you're in his spot, if you can average 26 a game next year, 25 a game, because you have as many shots as you possibly want, if you can be the seven foot three Latvian Devin Booker, there are worse existences, right? Yeah, look, there are much worse. He could be in Charlotte right now. He could be like in 25 different cities that would make his quality of life a lot lower than it is in New York. I just think he's he thinks of himself as a superstar, which it, fair or not, like I I think at this point he's he's probably a little bit overhyped. Um and you know, it, I think you underrate how depressing it is to sit through a 20-win season or 25-win season and show up every day. And then the guy they draft next year is going to be 19 years old and three years away from being useful. Like, Hey, I'm with you. I, but they, he's been living that depressing life and not getting the shots. Now he's well, going back he, in there saying, it's time to eat. Let's do it. You know, like that's, a, <laughs> that's a better life. I mean, it's an, like, he's clearly a winner here of this entire situation. There's no doubt. And I agree with you. Like the backlash is coming for him, just like the backlash yeah. could come for Westbrook because you can only play the, I don't have enough help card for so long. Eventually you get help and you're expected to, t- to carry those guys to wins, right? For Porzingis, the honeymoon is just beginning because everything that's happened previously, not his fault. He's going to be easily their best player this season, and he is going to be able to play the I don't have any help card for almost as long as Melo played it in New York. I mean, Melo was playing that year after year after year until people finally, you know, kind of started pointing the finger back at him. Uh, I, I see where you're going with how this could play out, but I think this is kind of the sweet spot for Porzingis, and he's going to love it. Okay. Last next question. You brought up Mello at the end. Uh, how do you remember his Knicks tenure? I think you, you mentioned it was a disappointment, but is that how you think of him uh, in New York? I mean, yeah. Like, the amount of hype. Because the thing with Mello, and maybe I'm showing my age here a little bit, but, like, I remember when it was Mello versus LeBron, who do you draft? 
right? Yeah. And the idea was not that one was going to ascend to challenge Jordan and the other was going to try to reinvent himself with a love of cigars and fine watches because he couldn't <laughs> win enough on the court to stay relevant. You know what Man, I mean? I, so that's what it bums me out because I think really like the the biggest strike against Melo and what damned him from a national perspective, it's just like he was right there with LeBron as a rookie and he was so much fun at Syracuse. Like I haven't I haven't been that excited about a young player more than like three or four times over the last 15 years he was just awesome um and his first step is great I like he's a classic bucket getter but then you're right like LeBron grows into a player that basically has zero weaknesses and then Melo just kind of gets a little chubbier and a little more selfish every year a little lazier on defense and it was just it's hard to enjoy him when he had like a, a doppelganger in LeBron who is just better in every single way. And right up into like that, that played out in the Eastern conference playoffs every time with the Knicks for the, the couple of years that they made it, they would always run into like LeBron and that, that the, the difference in what they could do was pretty staggering. I'll be the first to say it's an unfair comparison. You know, it's like, Andrew, guess what? Like, we're not F. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, or like whoever you yeah. want to throw out there as like an all-time great. Um, it's like, yeah, I'm pretty disappointing compared to Hemingway. You know, it's, it's pretty tough. It sucks. But, it sucks. But, like, but I, it, there's also a sense that Mello did have key decision moments where his career could have gone different directions, and it feels like he whiffed on the decisions in terms of how he orchestrated his uh, departure to New York, his decision not to really team up with anybody uh you know once resigning you know rather than exploring his other options and i to be honest i think Melo is kind of a cautionary tale when i look at some of these other guys who are on shorter contracts or they're more eager to uh, spend years in advance you know plotting their next move in terms of who they're going to play with i think they look at Melo getting stuck in new york and they're like anything but that <laughs> you know like <laughs> like because Melo made it work for himself like he he took the endorsement stuff off the court like he really did capitalize on that he's incredibly famous for yeah. you know his, his impact on playoff basketball it's amazing how famous he is given that he's just never there uh, late in the season so it's not like he wasted his life but in terms of you know opportunities at winning i think guys look at him and say well we got to do better than that like we don't want to get stuck on an organization like the knicks where it's just you know pathetic and hopeless year after year after year i mean and it got really dark and it's easy for the the ending part to kind of all run together yeah i mean these guys were horrible and Melo was the one sitting through it and the fact that he never orchestrated a trade out of there uh, you know, during those really tough seasons or kind of found a way to to make it work, I kind of hold against him too. You know, it's like, I okay. I think he liked New York a little bit more than winning for my taste. I think you, you've been glass half full the entire podcast and, and now I've came been out. glass half empty. <laughs> <laughs> and it's time, it's time to reverse the roles. I will remember him. I think his, his legacy could be as a cautionary tale, but I will remember Olympic Mellow and the idea of Mellow never quite Olympic matching Mello. up. <laughs> it never quite matched up with reality. It never quite played out on the court. But 
the idea was always so cool that it didn't matter. And when he, when Mello worked, he was so much fun. And like just watching him score was so gorgeous. And I think he got screwed by the LeBron comparisons. I he was more like Dirk Nowitzki than LeBron. And Dirk needed a really smart team to put really smart pieces around him and finally got it and broke through. That just never happened with Melo. Um, and you're right. Like it's a hundred percent or well, no, it's, it's 50% his fault. And then it's 50% the Knicks fault who like I was reading about it this afternoon. Uh, Jason Concepcion explained it. Well, he said the team is run like a cat chasing a laser pointer, which is a perfect Knicks description. But, like half the time they were they were responding to Mello's own bullshit and when he like would chase off Jeremy Lin or chase off Mike D'Antoni the one coach who should have brought him, brought out Olympic Mello like in the NBA but he didn't want to play the four and so it's tough but it I'll remember I'll remember the idea of Mello and I hope that that's more of what we'll get in OKC where he's more of a role player who gets to pick his spots a, in, a little bit. And uh, I think it's always interesting with Knicks fans. Like I think even they are 50, 50. Like if you ask a Knicks fan, how they feel about mellow, uh, one guy might tell you like, I am so sick of watching that dude play basketball. And then there are others who just have a soft spot for him. And I, I have a soft spot. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but so much of what Phil Jackson said about Mello was completely right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> and, I know. But there is a whole segment of society who will just like ride for Mello against all those criticisms forever and just not accept the fact that like, yeah, there were some pretty big things holding him back. I mean, I have a question for you. I mean, has Hoodie Mello caught up to Olympic Mello as the kind of laziest and most inaccurate uh, portrayal uh, <laughs> of Carmelo Anthony. Like I can actually get down with what you were saying earlier about Syracuse mellow. Syracuse mellow yeah. was great. And young nuggets mellow wasn't the worst either, but I'm look, man, I'm the idea of mellow hoodie is a mellow powerful thing. Or, <laughs> or Olympics mellow at all. You're right. You're right. That Phil Jackson's arrival was ultimately one of the best things that's ever happened to Carmelo Anthony because it absolved him of like three years of, legitimate criticism uh over the last couple of years but it's fine uh good luck to carmelo in the in oklahoma city where we both apologize for this depressing uh appraisal of well, hey, his hey one thing I, I i think we should mention though just to close this out how many times over the last 18 months have you asked me who's gonna outlast who in new york carmelo anthony or phil jackson and i mean Mellow outlasted Phil Jackson, but only just, <laughs> like only just Look, did he do it. It's a win. It's a win. Put it on the board for Carmelo. It's one of his career highlights. It was a battle of wills, and he won, sort of. Although I think Porzingis won is is really the answer to that question. But I'm t- I'm telling um, you, Porzingis is about to eat, man. He's loving it. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, it's gonna get fucking dark over the next couple of years in in MSG. If you Tim, think Hard- he's aggr- Tim Hardaway you, is going to be the one eating. If you think he's aggressive on Instagram now, just wait till he's the number one guy for the Knicks. He's going after all the direct messages. All right, let's move on to Trump here. Um, so Brett reached out uh, 
in his best Infowars sports voice. He said, were you surprised by LeBron's choice to speak out against Trump? Don't be. What the mainstream media isn't telling you is that LeBron is just prepping for his post-NBA gubernatorial run. Uh, I think LeBron is never going into politics and would not be that great at politics. But I have never loved LeBron more than I did on Saturday around 11 a.m. East Coast time when he checked in out of nowhere with the, with the haymaker to Donald Trump. And, uh, yeah, it, it literally made me look down at my phone. I was driving at the time, and I was like, God damn, LeBron. So what do you think? Do you think he's going into politics? Well, I had an interesting experience with that tweet, too, because I was in the middle of doing like five different things and I saw it. And when I read it, I thought he was calling Stephen Curry a bum. And I was like, oh, no, my day is ruined. Now I got to write about (laughs) LeBron taking shots at Steph. Here we go. And then I read the rest of the tweet and I was like, wow, (laughs) that took such a turn from where I thought it was going. Um, I don't know about this whole LeBron politics thing. I think he's way too smart for that. Um, I think it takes a certain type of person to go into politics. Uh, and I'm not. Th- sh- I'm not sure he's got that personality. I think you could say that LeBron needs constant positive reinforcement, but I don't think it's quite in the same way as politicians seem to. I if if we're looking at the banana boat, I think LeBron and Melo are not not headed to politics. But D Wade and Chris Paul both have like the combination of charm and ruthlessness that would make for a great politician so i would i would bet on like cp3 going into politics before lebron ever even considers it see the sad thing is i wonder if you and i are using outdated descriptions of what we think about with politicians because i'm not seeing a lot of charm in the current cabinet when i'm coming looking at that squad and so i mean i maybe we're still stuck in this obama mold of like yeah i could kind of see d-way doing that um (laughs) but yeah no i'm not sure maybe we don't know what politicians are anymore but i actually have a different question for you because i think the more interesting aspect of this whole conversation is kind of what went down with golden state uh, Mm -hmm. and with trump my question for you is this let me tell you that we won the podcast finals. We won. And right. traditionally, podcast champions get to go to the White House. How do you respond? What is your first move? What's your first inclination? What do you do? Um, me, personally, I would not go. Uh, and that's... But it... it I mean... <laughs> We're not famous, so there's there's not really any value or no, stakes. No, no, but to let, us. let's say that somehow there's going to be a photo op. The podcast finalists traditionally have a photo op, so you're invited. You're expected to go shake hands. You're expected to take a picture. What do you do? Do you? So you don't want to go. Do you come to me and be like, bro, we we should not go? Do you? What do you do? Do you like call a meeting and say, <laughs> hey, we got to figure out a way to get out of this? I mean, honestly, what do you do? What's your first step? Well, look. My first step is to call you and talk it out. We're a team. We would, I would not make the decision unilaterally. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I would go because I think that there's real value in saying basically exactly what Steph Curry said. And it was, it was cool to, to, to watch him say all that uh, on Friday at, at Warriors Media Day because if you watch the video of him 
on the podium, like he's sort of searching for the right words. And I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to over the last like nine months is trying to explain exactly what they're opposed to exactly how they feel. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to, to do that when you're speaking off the cuff to reporters. And I, th- I think he did a really good job saying, look, we're trying to send a message that this, that we don't tolerate this from the president, this being what he said, this being what he hasn't said at certain times, this being just like the general lack of humanity. And those are my words, not Steph's, but that that come comes from the White House right now. And uh, to me, I think there's real value in famous people basically saying, fuck off. We're, we don't we don't co-sign this. This is not what we represent. And I do think it's different. It, like it's I what I worry about is that we would get to a place where political differences start to d- dictate whether teams show up or not. But I don't think that this is about like policy differences. And I think that just the general tone coming from the White House over the last nine months and the message that they're sending to Americans and to the rest of the world is something that doesn't jive with like with what the Warriors are about. Okay, next hypothetical for you. Okay. Somehow, with our <laughs> I amazing was not prepared podcast, for any of this. <laughs> no, I know. No, you're doing a great job, though, because I'm going to eventually, I'm setting this up for my takes, but I have okay. one more hypothetical for you. Somehow, we got invited to the Emmys. <laughs> I don't know if you won. I don't know if I won. Maybe we were just nominated. But there's Sean Spicer, and he did his joke, and there he is backstage, and now you're like 20 feet away from him. Do you go up to get that selfie like a lot of the celebrities do? Do you go spit in his face? Do you walk away? What's your move there? Um, you know, this is potentially a little controversial considering how angry the internet was about Sean Spicer. I didn't think he was funny at the SBs. I've never really been into the like the SNL version of the Trump administration that like goes viral every Monday. I just don't think that stuff is that funny. But I also don't think that he, as an individual, is should be treated like a war criminal. Um, and he is not like he's one of the guys. He was so far over his in over his head of the last like six months that I kind of felt bad for him. And I think he's just sort of a regular guy who said yes to the wrong job. And so I would not go up and take a selfie with him. But I also would not spit in his face. I think he's just a guy, and he became a target for a lot of angst that's completely reasonable about the like the presidency but i don't find him i I don't think that like making sure keeping him off tv forever is not gonna like really change anything all right that's that's good takes i think when i was weighing this you know how i would react uh, my initial just gut sense is that i wouldn't want to be anywhere close to either one of those guys like I, I don't know if i would spit in sean spicer's face i mean i'm pretty confident that i wouldn't do that in public but yeah. i think i would bounce quick <laughs> i'm not trying to be in any photo with them i'm not trying to that's be a good that's a great point i would I'm not want to be out. photographed with sean spicer <laughs> like I'm history out. is going to remember this shit and i don't want to be a- associated with him that's a that's I, a fair way to ex- i don't even it. i don't even want to be in the background of the photo and i don't <laughs> think this is a political statement to say this, I don't like Democrat versus Republican, whatever. I don't want to be photographed with Trump either. I don't want to be within 30 feet of him. You know, yeah. I mean, some of the things that he said, I don't want to have 
anything to do with. I don't want anyone to be able to misconstrue my presence there. And again, it's not just politics. There's a lot of people in the world who I'm just kind of not messing with. And I'm actually going to give myself a little credit here because this is a maturation process. When I was in high school, uh, do you remember uh, Mark Furman, the detective who was like yes. busted for racism during like the O.J. Simpson trial, whatever? So he was I doing. Do, and I'm a, I'm officially worried about where this is going, but yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> he had a book reading in Portland, like suburban Portland, right? And uh-huh. look, not not a lot of famous people come to Portland. So I used to be like kind of in groupie mode at these like whether it's a lecture, like one time I was behind the scenes to talk like brooklyn dodgers baseball with alan dershowitz i just like kind of wiggle my way into these uh scenarios with like quasi famous people uh this is like before 9 11 where like security wasn't really a thing you could just kind of like walk up to famous people at events so like high school me or middle school me thought it was hilarious to like print out a picture of oj simpson with like the caption not guilty fold it over so that it just looked like a blank piece of paper (laughs) go go to mark Furman's book reading and have him autograph that so then i could unfold it and it would be like mark Furman, this like horrible guy like basically co-signing the fact that oj simpson was not guilty so i still own that piece of paper and when i was like 12 years old i thought it was hilarious like i didn't realize how weird it was for me to be at a book reading with mark Furman. i didn't really even think twice when he offered me like five free copies of his books because no one had bought his book <laughs> yeah, whatsoever not a, not exactly the hottest market I was just all in on like, oh, this guy's kind of fa-. like it was the exact situation with some of these celebrities where like, oh, there's Sean Spicer. I'm probably never going to see him again. I better quick take a picture of it because it's so funny. Ha ha. There is nothing funny about Mark Furman. There's nothing funny about Sean Spicer. And there's nothing funny about a lot of the stuff that Donald Trump is saying. And so if I'm the Warriors and I'm in this situation my first reaction is exactly what Steph Curry and what Kevin Durant and Andre Iguodala and I think a lot of these other guys were thinking is just like, nah, we don't want to go. But here's what I here's my bigger point about all of this, though, with the Warriors. Right. I think they art of a deal them. I think they rope a doped them. I think they realized they were in a staring yes. match with the president of the United States and they completely suckered them and they completely won. Because I think the Warriors looked at this and they said, if we just turn them down outright, we're the bad guys. We're snubbing the, the president. We're opening ourselves up to charges of anti-patriotism, which misguided as they might be. I mean, we see them about all these different protests, you know, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, all this stuff. They get labeled anti-patriotic. And I don't think the Warriors wanted to even have that discussion or be painted with that discussion. However, if they could sucker Trump into not inviting them, then he's the bad guy. He's the one who made the decision. And they're not necessarily victims, but they can claim the moral high ground completely unencumbered. And it's amazing how beautifully it played out exactly like that. All it took was one little statement from Steph Curry at Media Day to load the trap up. Trump falls right into it. Boom. Uh, Now we have this major discussion about Trump the person, Trump's statements, Trump's decision, and everyone rallies to Golden State side, including LeBron James, of all people, who, you know, their biggest rivals in the league, who's able to kind of put basketball aside and make this about bigger than basketball. All things considered, this was pretty beautifully orchestrated by the Warriors, wasn't it? And I'm not going to believe that they just accidentally stumbled into this. I think this was their plan, and I think it worked. 
you know, I don't know if it was 100% choreographed, but I think even if you listen to Steve Kerr and Steph talk about it, they as soon as that went public, they were all kind of waiting for the tweet. So you're probably right. And you're right that it has gone perfectly to plan, if it were a plan. Uh, and, I mean, Donald Trump has made the Warriors more popular than they've been in, like, 18 months, uh, which is amazing in itself. To follow up on a couple things you said, the I, I think the reason I, I said that the that I'm sort of indifferent to Spicer uh, is that I don't associate I don't put him in like the Mark Furman category and I don't necessarily associate him with like the brains of the White House that we should people that we should really be worried about. Um, but I could be wrong on that and whatever. Uh, the I'm also we spent like 40 minutes talking about Carmelo Anthony, who no one really cares about. We completely buried the lead. Your Mark Furman anecdote in a, in a <laughs> illustrious history of like inexplicable anecdotes on this podcast. Holy shit. Uh, that's the stuff that we want on your Instagram. We don't need this nature photography. We need the magnets and we need your signed picture of not guilty OJ from Mark Furman. Okay, I hear you. The reason why I asked you how you would handle uh, the Trump thing and the Spicer thing, by the way, was because those are the exact questions that Golden State had to ask themselves, right? And I think it's so touchy. And I think a big part of it, too, is like, even if your main players, guys like Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, they're never going to go. There is no possible way those guys would have gone. You can never convince me that they would have been able to kind of swallow it and go. There's just no way. But I also think that there's a certain level of respect uh, where if somebody in the organization like did want to go, like, you know, just was really into uh, presidential history and always had wanted to go to the White House, you know, whatever it might be. It, it feels hard for me to say that there would be anyone in that room who'd say, like, no, you can't go. You know what I mean? Like, if you're Kerr, let's say one of your assistant coaches is just, like, all about it. Maybe he's even a Republican. Maybe he voted for Trump. Like, he's not out there, like, you know, aggravating the players about it, but he just wanted to go. It's pretty dicey if you're in that group and you're, like, kind of dictating to your fellow colleagues who also were part of a championship-winning team. Like, you don't get to go and experience this thing that's been happening for years and years and basically always happens, right? So I don't think that they necessarily wanted to be in the position where, you know, they were kind of, like, fragmenting their group. And and that's why I asked you what you would do, because imagine if I wanted to go. Like, how awkward is that? Or imagine (laughs) if you wanted to go and I didn't want to go. That's super awkward. What if our producer wanted to go? Like, and we don't want to go. Is he just going to go by himself? It really is, yeah, is a pretty but dicey situation, they a, you know? They had a fine plan. They were going to take a vote. And if it were you and me and our podcast producer, Lou, we would vote. And if it were two to one, like the other person would have to just get over it and it would be fine. Um, no, but I, but and, I, don't, I don't think I would have gone. Like if you guys both voted to go, there's no way I'm going. I'm, I'm just saying yeah. like, good luck. You know, like send me a postcard. A, that's, that's what I'm saying. Th- that's a fine way to handle it. I mean, Tom Brady didn't go to the White House. Um so I, yeah. but you're right. And as you I just think it's a talked, more complicated situation than people think is, is what I was trying to get at. And, uh, the way they handled it by putting it back into his, uh, you know, kind of like playing the ball back to him and saying like, you go ahead and make the decision here. It saved them from all of those nitty gritty internal debates, didn't it? 
Yeah. No, it, this worked out great for the Warriors. Again, like they they come out of this looking like the good guys. They are more popular than ever, and um, I think it's a big win. Uh, I and as you were talking, I I was thinking back like a, a couple months ago. I was talking to somebody whose dad had gone to like a luncheon with Trump, and it was in a different country. But they were relaying this to me as if it were a cool thing. And I remember in my head, I was like, I, that's, number one, not very cool. And if, if I had had the opportunity, I wouldn't want to do that because I'm just not down <laughs> with what that guy is about. And like, I also think that we're going to get 20, 30 years down the line and look back at this as like a really dark chapter. And uh, associating with Trump is, is not going to be a good look in hindsight. The one well, other you thing, we, you know, what we call those things, though, we call those Mark Furman autographs. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, it's right. it's it's really not that cool that I have it. You know, Look, if you think man, about it, it's, it's not that great. Don't even don't tell me about it. I don't want to hear about it. I want to see it on your Instagram. You can <laughs> throw it up as a story. It disappears after 24 hours. Um, <laughs> the one thing that I do want to do is read uh, this passage from Steve Kerr. Um, he has a great thing up on Sports Illustrated. This is not from his, the, the piece that he wrote for us, um, but this is from his media availability. He says, in general, the idea of going to the White House as part of a championship team is awesome, an incredible honor. You honor the office, the institution. I can speak from personal experience. It doesn't matter. You just set aside personal differences. I've had the pleasure of meeting with Ronald Reagan, George Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Obama. I didn't necessarily necessarily agree with all of them, but it was an incredible honor to be in their presence. There was respect for the office and also a respect from not only us, but from the president himself. I think we would, in normal times, very easily be able to set aside political differences, go visit and have a good time. But these are not ordinary times, probably the most divisive times of my life. I'd guess since Vietnam when I was a kid. Because of the differences in this, in this country, the president made it really, really difficult for us to honor that institution. Our differences in terms of our team and our organization's values are just so dramatically different. I'm talking in terms of inclusion and civil discourse and dignity. It's hard for us every day when we're seeing the things he's saying. I thought yesterday his comments about the NFL players was as bad as anything he said to this point. It was awful. You're talking about young men who are peacefully protesting police brutality and racism, racial inequality, peacefully protesting, hallmarks of our country. Come on. This has been very difficult for us to have to reconcile. And uh, I'm sorry for people who come here for jokes about the NBA, but... I, I read that for two reasons. First of all, I think it's really important to have white people speaking out during all this and about some of these issues, which like the concept of, of fighting racial inequality and fighting excessive force from police officers like shouldn't be that controversial, but it, it sort of is. And I think it really helps to have white allies and Steve Kerr has been great. Um, and the other thing is like, as far as the white house and everything else like that, that passage captures exactly how I feel. This is this is sort of bigger than political differences, um, but it's it's just like the general disregard for decency and decorum that I think the Warriors find like appalling, and uh, that is tough, man. Yeah, I'm just gonna add a little levity because that was a that was really poignant, and I can't really beat that. 
Can we just focus for one second on how Steve Kerr has won so much in his life that he's met every single president since Reagan? <laughs> are, you, are you kidding me? Look, <laughs> how Steve does this Kerr's, guy win everything? We don't talk often enough about how awesome Steve Kerr's life has been. Like he got to hang out with Jordan, got out at the right time, got to hang out with the Spurs. He was on those jailblazers teams, which is kind of a gift and a curse, but he, I'm sure he's got some great stories from that era. He's had quite a ride through the years. No, and he's still going, man. He can coach for another 30 years. I mean, he's going to be in a situation where he could write a book when he's like 90 years old, and he could literally write, I had the opportunity to meet 12 straight presidents, but for moral reasons, my streak got snapped halfway through by Donald Trump. I mean, that that is literally <laughs> something that could happen for him. That is such an absurd uh, level of mastery within a sport. It's amazing. Um I do want to plug, let's uh, plug Chris Ballard's piece with Steve Kerr on SI.com. I mean, it, it builds on the passage that you just uh, read about. It had a great message in terms of trying to bring people together. Uh, I hate to be the glasses half empty guy again here to kind of close this out, but I wanted to ask you just kind of final thoughts here. Did Adam Silver do enough with his statement? Uh, because basically his statement was, I was in favor of the Warriors visiting the White House and thought it was a rare opportunity for these players to share their views directly with the president. I'm disappointed that that will not happen. More importantly, I'm proud of our players for taking an active role in their communities and continuing to speak out on critically important issues. I mean, nobody has an issue with the second part of that statement. I mean, he has no doubt been very supportive of, you know, NBA players throughout a lot of tricky uh, political and, and kind of a lot of times, you know, racially uh, motivated controversies around, you know, around the country. I mean, he's always had the players back there. But yeah. this idea that the Warriors were going to go to the White House and have a rare opportunity to share their views with the president, it, doesn't that sound a little Pollyanna-ish? Like, I mean, that sounds great in theory. Was there ever even a possibility that there would be a real exchange of ideas about substantive issues between... Donald Trump, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala, or if the Cavaliers had won, LeBron James, you know, J.R. Yeah. Smith, and these guys. I mean, what is Silver talking about? That is, that's not possible. I mean, I would wish for that too. I would wish for a lot of things. You know, like, yeah, we, we could come up with a great list. Like, how, well, how many millions of dollars do you want to wish for? I mean, you know, how many cars do you want to wish for? All these just complete absurdities that, that aren't really possible how was that ever going to happen, you know? And so shouldn't he yeah. take a harder line here? Like if that's not really realistic, what okay, is he even so saying, you know? I will say this. I will say that I don't share that dream and never really did because I just, again, you're, you're right. It's not, it, it's not realistic and it's not how it would have gone had they gone to the white house, but I don't think it's hopelessly naive um, to think that it, there is real value in trying to bridge the gap rather than turning your back entirely. And I think that in a different circumstance, uh, it would, it would make sense to go and, and sort of voice your critique. Like at the height of the, the George W. Bush presidency, like people were very passionate. I was one of them. Like there were a lot of people and I'm sorry for getting, we've all, we've gotten a little too liberal here, but like, I could see people not going to that White House uh, if it if it happened today, and 
you know, I don't, I, it, these are really hard questions and I don't blame the people who think that it, it matters to, to show up and respect the office. I just think that Trump has sort of like taken us so far off course that it's out of the question on this one. And as far as their statement, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be a league trying to navigate the political landscape right now and i know and i don't know landscape. if i don't know if adam silver wants to be either that's how this yeah. statement read it's like well, i am tiptoeing through a minefield and i'm just gonna let lebron take this one that's how that's the thing though and i don't and, and, i don't necessarily blame him for that but given that like professional athletes you are under a direct attack by the uh you know the president of the united states and i mean maybe silver statement would be different if he had been referring to NBA players with the kind of language uh, that he used to, to talk about NFL yeah. players. But like, to me, Steve Kerr, Curry, LeBron coming hard at Donald Trump, Adam Silver, mm, you know? Yeah, like, well, that's true. But I also don't think he needed to. I, I think with LeBron speaking out, with Steve Kerr speaking out, Curry, like, I think this was an opportunity for him to sort of punt here. And there will be other opportunities where more is required. But... Yeah, I, I, I like. I, don't know. I wouldn't want to. I'm be a little a, disappointed. I'm a little yeah, disappointed. No, him. That's fair, but I'm also not looking for Adam Silver to solve like our problems uh, in America. Yeah. That's that. Well, I, I. That's I, my I problem when people sort of lash out. Is it's like I don't give a shit what Adam Silver thinks about Trump. Like I'm upset, and no, a lot of I, I, smart I people you. are I feel upset. You. Imagine you're an NBA player, though. Did he do enough to get your back? Is him saying, hey, I'm proud of you for speaking your mind, exercising your First Amendment rights, which you have a right to do. You're an American. Is that enough to back the players? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. That's I'm a, not that's saying, a, he, has, a I'm not saying he has to like slander Donald Trump or like call him you bum. I'm not expecting Silver on Twitter, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I just say if I'm a player and you've had these good relationships, you know, generally speaking with Silver and Silver has done a very nice job in the past of threading the needle and, and kind of yeah. managing delicate situations. And he came out hard against Donald Sterling. Hard. I mean, right yeah. at his throat, the way he handled that. I look at this response, and I'm wondering, well, you know, was there more? Was there something else that could have happened? And maybe it's coming. You know, maybe Silver will have, uh, you know, maybe he's just waiting to see how the players actually react. I mean, you know, the, I think if, if I'm an NBA player, I'm – sort of back where the Clippers were during the Donald Sterling era of like, let's come up with however many protests we can come up with, whether that's, you know, jerseys inside out, warmups inside out, you know, black wristbands. I mean, whatever it possibly is. I mean, I think these guys are very aware and they're uh, realizing that they're making some progress here in this conversation. Like this has really blown up. I mean, that's the real takeaway for me of this weekend is like, man, there is no avoiding this conversation. This is the dominant conversation. These guys are the ones who have kind of, you know, made that happen. Yeah. They're not going to give up once preseason starts and the regular season starts. They're going to be taken into the next level. Uh, and I wonder, maybe Silver's just kind of keeping the the bullets in the chamber a little bit. Maybe he's he's feeling like this is not the last battle, you know? Yeah, you talk about avoiding the conversation um, and not being able to. How, like, how do you feel about it? This is obviously the first time that we've talked about politics since i think trump was elected uh and I, like i told you coming in i want to do 10 minutes and out on trump but we've had a good conversation here so we kept it going 
but like how do you feel about it as far as like sticking to sports um i mean i would i mean i listen to like a lot i mean i listen to a lot of uh, politics podcasts and i read a lot of political stories i would prefer to only talk hoop ever you know like i think that you honestly bring up all sorts of nonsense and you and you drag me down to this level that i shouldn't even be on i should be up on my high horse talking legacy <laughs> and talking rings and talking on court x's and o's and, and praising paul Millsap. but no i get dragged down to these hoodie mellow conversations and does he look right. thin because he's wearing stripes i mean if it was my podcast i mean you heard it over the summer it was pretty darn nerdy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was me and rob mahoney and chris Ballard talking writing and talking like x's and o's and strategy that's how i would do it and this is why i give you all the credit for this podcast actually being good because it's somewhat interesting and kind of funny uh thanks to you but um i don't live my life by a stick to sports mentality and i don't think yeah. most smart people do you know, well, I no, think... I'm not saying that. But as a as a reporter, as a public figure, like, how do you feel about it? I mean, I think when these guys, these NBA players, protest on opening night, and it's going to happen, that's the story. You know, yeah. Lonzo Ball's NBA debut is going to be a huge story. I will be there. But when these guys have black socks on, or their shirts are inside out, or whatever it's going to be, that is a story. And I think. To pretend that it's not or to not cover it would be kind of dereliction of duty. I wouldn't totally. say that I go around kind of chasing those kinds of stories. Uh, but news is news. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm about the same in, in, in that like when it's inescapable like it has been this weekend, it has to be addressed and we can do it in a smart way. Um, like I, I might write something for, for Monday about it. Um, I do think that like, there is some, some virtue in sticking to sports. Like the idea that stick to sports is dead like that, that is now worse than stick to sports. Um, Thank you for because... saying that. You're just reading my text messages now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're right, man. Uh, yes. For the record, Ben came up with that. I just think no, that there's that's some. That's true though, because it has like, it's another classic case where everybody, finally rallies around this concept that has been known forever stick to sports yeah. was never really a thing you know and like stick to sports is dead well <laughs> that you know as long as politics and race like was stick to sports a thing when the major league baseball was segregated i mean give me a break you know it's like come on guys like do we really think that today's or like the last 24 hours of events has completely altered american history come on that's so disingenuous you know well, and also, I consider myself to be fairly intelligent. Um, obviously, I'm unbearably condescending toward you like 10 different times a week. But I also am a little bit more reluctant to sound off on politics because I don't I'm not as much of an expert as smarter people than me. And I like I'd rather read someone who is an expert in politics like Ryan Lizza or at the New Yorker or like any any number of guys across the media who are Sean fantastic. Hannity, <laughs> <Yeah>. Alex Jones. <laughs> Infowars Sports. Uh I just I don't know. I so I think as far as us, we'll probably tread lightly and weigh in when when it's appropriate, but I don't think people like we're not gonna like suddenly start talking about Trump every week. And to me, like 
I I I was super depressed when Trump won. Um, and I wrote about this last year, but like the NBA is such a wonderful antidote to everything that Trump represents and Trump's vision for the world. And like, even as he was fucking going nuts in Alabama on Friday night, there was a, the next tweet I saw was, uh, was John wall at Kentucky, like giving a really emotional speech about his mom and so, like, a lot of times I use this podcast and the league itself and the, the people as just an escape. So, I, like, if, if anyone is listening pissed off that we're talking about politics, I, I actually kind of get it. But, uh, but shout out to the league for sort of keeping me sane through all this, too. Yeah, I mean, again, like, you're really tearjerkers today. Um, <laughs> I, Look, I'm going to have to add some more levity by saying it's about time you admitted that you were the condescending one because I feel like I've been getting attacked left and right lately from our emailers <laughs> saying yeah. that I'm so mean to you and all this and that. And it's like, yeah, I'm just firing back here. Okay, Sharp's the one who picks every battle. But um, I think that's a good place to wrap it, man. That was well said. I, we're not going to be a politics podcast. It's not going to happen. Uh, we got the preseason coming up. Um, we got Look, media we got day the, coming up. I'm going to Alonzo Ball media podcast. day, man. We got you're, the fantasy pod coming. Oh, yeah. The Enos Canner Hour. That'll be great. But you're going to <laughs> Joel Embiid Media Day. I'm going to Lonzo Ball Media Day. What more do the folks want than that, you know? It's going to be great. I can't wait. Um, check in with us on openfloormail at gmail.com. We're coming back Friday with a mailbag. And, yeah, I have to wake up at 630 in the morning tomorrow and drive to Philly. So here we go. You know, the season is here. All right, I'm going to go dig through my tubs of uh, memorabilia to find this Mark Furman <laughs> autograph for you. You owe it, it to the fans. Until then, uh, I'll talk to you, man. Take care. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.